Good morning. My name is Lachlan, one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. Looking forward to spending time with you together this morning in Isaiah. It's a wonderful passage there as we move towards the end of Isaiah. Uh, seeing this positive transformation that God speaks about. It uh, got me thinking, we, we kind of like uh, seeing positive transformation take place. There's something that we like about big and noticeable and beautiful change. Uh, it, it litters our TV. I don't know what your guilty pleasure of TV watching is, but perhaps you love watching one of those reality TV shows that's all about big personal transformation for people. Uh, the Block was on recently this year. A lot of people enjoyed watching that, seeing a fire station get turned into some moderately nice apartments. Uh, they didn't sell for too much money, but, you know, it's, we like watching those kind of shows. Uh, perhaps your jam is more of the Pimp My Ride, where the car gets turned into something that's like, whoa, what, what's happened there? Or maybe you like the personal makeover shows, where someone kind of gets their makeup done and new wardrobe makes them look fashionable, and they come out at the end, and you're like, who is this person? They're so different. Uh, even before TV, there are the classic before and after photos. You're sitting in the dentist and the walls are covered and you've got on one side a mouthful of rotten and missing teeth and then next to it it's this amazing beautiful white smile. There's something we like about seeing this before and after, about seeing change take place. I think the reason that we like these things is because we look at it and we resonate. We, we go, there's something that we want changed about our lives. There's something we want transformed about our own situation. As a kid, I remember watching garden makeover shows where the team would turn up at the house for the weekend and everyone would go off to a hotel and they'd just make the garden look beautiful. I think, oh, it'd be great if they could come to our house and put a pool in the backyard. That'd be wonderful. I, I want that change. And we love watching these things, seeing these things, because we wish that we could change ourselves. What is it in your life that as you come here this morning, you would love to see change? If your life at the moment is that before photo, and you're thinking about what the after photo might look like, what is it that you would love to see? I trust there's a bunch of stuff in our minds that, you know, let's be honest, it shouldn't concern us as much as it does. The things that we'd love to see changed about our physical appearance, our weight, our relationship status. There's all sorts of things that worry us and that we'd love to see change that, that shouldn't worry us as much as they do. But at the same time, there are things that we should long to see changed. Changes in our community. It's right, it's good that we long for more justice, more peace. Changes in our own character. It's right, it's good that we long to be more patient, more gentle, more honest, more generous. It's right and good that we look for this personal transformation. And this week and next week, as we finish up Isaiah, God is showing us amazing pictures of transformation. Next week, the focus will be on cosmic transformation, the renovation of the whole world. This week, the focus is a bit more individual. This week, in Isaiah 60 and 61, we see God's people transformed. These before and after shots of God's people that make us long for change, to participate in that change. As we just had read for us there, beauty in the place of ashes, festive oil to replace weeping. Wonderful change. Let me pray, and I'm going to ask that God would delight us and motivate us with these images of the future that he has in store for us, his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a true God, that you never lie. Your word is sure. It's a solid foundation that we can build our lives upon. Thank you for that.
by your spirit this morning, awaken in us a, a deep appreciation of the change that you've already worked in our lives. Help us to see the way you've already transformed us. And give us a clear vision of the future transformation that you still have in store for us. Show us that future. Cause us to delight in that future, to long for it. So that we might live now in a way that lines up with and prepares for that future. We ask this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Well, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60. Keep your Bible open so that you can follow along and make sure I'm not making things up, but showing you what God has to say in his word. There's an outline that you would have received on the way in as well. Uh, That shows you our trajectory this morning. We're going to look at what is going to change. And we're actually going to spend most of our time there. So don't get too stressed when you're still on that left-hand page. We're going to spend most of our time looking at what's going to change before briefly seeing how that change comes about and what we should do in response to the change that God is bringing. So what, how, what now? We're starting in Isaiah chapter 60. And we're going to see first the what. The what is that God's people will be beautifully transformed. The first heading that's there, God's people will be beautifully transformed. Isaiah 60 verse 10. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. It sounds pretty gentle, doesn't sound like too much. There's a building project going on. It's like we've walked onto the set of the block and there's walls being built. It's a rebuild of the city of Jerusalem. But to start to feel the weight of what's happening here, we'll recap the history of Israel so far. If you've been with us through Isaiah, hopefully these dates are starting to sink in for you. If you walk away from our series in Isaiah, knowing just these few key dates within the history of Israel, that'll be really helpful for you as you go on in your reading of the Bible. Uh, Remember Isaiah, he starts his work as a prophet in around 740 BC. Uh, It's during the reign of King Uzziah. Uh, The kingdom of Israel at this point has been split into two. There's a northern kingdom that's been called Israel. There's a southern kingdom that's been called Judah. Isaiah starts preaching in the south, so that the capital city of the south is Jerusalem. King Uzziah has been reigning there. And the first historical date that we kind of get in the book of Isaiah is the death of King Uzziah. So that's 740 BC. We know that's when Isaiah is starting to preach. Then in 722 BC, so 18 years in, there's a significant event in the life of Israel. That northern kingdom gets completely wiped out by Assyria. They were the big empire of the day. They come down and destroy the north. It's all gone. Everything, all the people, gone. Another couple of decades later, and Assyria, that big empire, they're swooping down onto the southern kingdom. They destroy all the cities of the south. You might remember this, 46 cities get wiped out. We looked at this in Isaiah 36 and 37, and we saw King Hezekiah, who trusted in the Lord at this point. Uh, And so Jerusalem was spared. This has been massive destruction. All of Israel, the north, the south, all shrunk down to just one city remaining. That happened in 701 BC. In the next few years after that, while Hezekiah is still king, that's when Isaiah dies, or at least ends his prophetic ministry. So he's preaching, and all this book kind of comes together around the year 700 BC. But as Isaiah preaches, he's looking ahead into the future. He's speaking God's word about events in the future. And in 587 BC, another 120 years on, uh, this is one of the events that Isaiah was speaking about. Babylon, a new empire that's come and replaced Assyria. They come down and destroy Jerusalem. Remember that one city that was left after all of the other destruction? 
587 BC, even that is gone. It's burnt to the ground, it's torn to rubble. There is nothing left. Nothing left of Israel. All of the people are carted off to the capital of Babylon. They live there. This is the history that's going on in the time of Isaiah. This is the history that Isaiah is speaking about. And so when you come to Isaiah chapter 60, the starting point, the before photo that you're meant to have in your mind is of Jerusalem after it's been destroyed by Babylon. It would have looked something like this. Uh, This is a shot of Aleppo in Syria. Uh, Andrew prayed for northern Syria at the moment. Uh, Aleppo used to be a beautiful city. Uh, But the ravages of war came through, destruction, violence. It's now a pile of rubble, ashes. And you look at a city like that and you think, where are we going to start? Can we rebuild this? Is, Is there any hope here? Will it ever be as good as it was? That's going on in the mindset of the people of Jerusalem. The city's destroyed. What, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? And God says in Isaiah 60 verse 10, foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. God says to Israel, you're going to be transformed. The foreigners, those enemies that came in and tore down your walls, they're going to come alongside and help you build them. The kings who made you serve them, the kings of Assyria, the kings of Babylon, they're now going to serve you. You'll be transformed from a besieged city to a victorious city. Have a look in verse 11 of Isaiah 60. God says, your, gates, your city gates will always be open. They'll never be shut day or night so that the wealth of the nations may be brought into you with their kings being led in procession. Now, the city gates, the gates of a city were a defensive feature. If you've read Lord of the Rings, watched Lord of the Rings, you get this, right? You see the big battles, and you've got the wall around the city that the enemies are trying to scale up and climb onto, but they're also trying to attack the gates because the gates were this potential weak point. If you could get through the gates, then you were into the city and you could start destroying from within. God is saying to his people, your gates will always be open. That is, you're going to be that safe. There's no enemies anymore that you have to defend against. The nations that have been your enemies, they're going to come to you, but not to destroy you anymore, not to defeat you. They'll come with all of their wealth. They'll come to bring gifts to you, to fill your city with wealth and glory and and culture. This is a huge reversal. When Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, the king of Babylon took all of the treasure from Jerusalem's temple, all of the treasure from Jerusalem's palace and carried that off to Babylon. And now God's saying all of the nations, not just Babylon, all of them will bring their wealth to Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be transformed from a deserted and despised city to a beautiful and glorious city. Have a look at verse 13. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, its pine, elm and cypress together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will glorify my dwelling place. These are rich building materials brought in for the rebuild. This isn't some half-baked job where you just scrap together what you can. The best of the building materials are coming. Verse 14, The sons of your oppressors will come and bow down to you. All who reviled you will fall face down at your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Instead of your being deserted and hated with no one passing through, I'll make you an object of eternal pride, a joy from age to age. 
Now, this is a city that's been right at the bottom of any tourist's wish list. No one's going, oh yeah, I want to go to Jerusalem right now. God's people have been oppressed, they've been reviled, they've been hated. God's saying to them, one day, you'll be the destination of choice for travellers. Those who sneered at you, they'll realise they were wrong. They're going to come and bow down in humility. In terms of transformation, this is huge. This is quite the makeover for God's people. Continues in verse 17. Jerusalem will be transformed from violent city to peaceful city. Verse 17, I'll bring gold instead of bronze. I'll bring silver instead of iron, bronze instead of wood, and iron instead of stones. Again, there's that building material taken up a couple of notches. God says, I'll appoint peace as your government and righteousness as your overseers. Violence will never again be heard of in your land. Devastation and destruction will be gone from your borders. You will call your walls salvation and your city gates praise. We've now got a new mayor, in the, well, not a new mayor, but we've re-elected the mayor in Auckland. You might have seen the results this morning. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the mayor in Auckland, but God is saying for the people of Israel, no longer will your leaders be corrupt. No longer will you have leaders who don't care about justice, who only care about building their wealth. That's what Jerusalem's leaders have been like. But now God is saying, those leaders who are taking bribes, those leaders who are ignoring the orphan and the widow and the victims of violence, they're not going to be leading anymore. In this new Jerusalem, your leaders will be, just see it there, peace. Peace as your government. Righteousness, justice as your overseers. This is a great city to live in. It gets better in verse 19. The sun will no longer be your light by day. The brightness of the moon will not shine on you. Yahweh will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your splendor. It's so good. He says it pretty much the same in verse 20. Your sun will no longer set. Your moon will not fade. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light. And the days of your sorrow will be over. Jerusalem will be transformed from this dark city to the brightest of all cities. No more darkness. No more danger and uncertainty and difficulty. No more groping along the walls trying to find your way and make sure you don't fall in a pit. No more walking home at night with that background sense of danger. Who or what is lurking in those shadows. All of that will be gone. But this image in verse 19 and 20 there promises more than just a lack of darkness, doesn't it? See why there'll be no darkness anymore? Because God will be there. God promises his presence, his guidance, his goodness. This, this new Jerusalem will be the brightest city because there's a new resident, Yahweh himself. God has moved in and taken up residence. His glory, his goodness drives out all darkness, all fear. God's people will be beautifully transformed from besieged to victorious, from deserted and despised to glorious, from violent to peaceful, from dark to the brightest of all. If you're an Israelite living in Babylon in exile with Jerusalem destroyed, this description will be so wonderful. There's hope, things will change. And they won't just go back to how they were before, they'll be even better than before. 
But even in 700 BC, when God spoke these promises through Isaiah, before that exile had happened, this promise of transformation even then would have been wonderful. This is beyond their current experience of life. And there's one last piece of change that we're told about that would have been so wonderful in 700 BC. It's the piece that sits behind and explains all the rest of the change. Have a look at Isaiah 60, verse 21. God says, All your people will be righteous. They'll possess the land forever. They are the branch I planted, the work of my hands, so that I may be glorified. Everyone will be righteous. Righteousness has been a key word throughout Isaiah. It's a a word that speaks of justice, of things being done in the right way, God's way. Back in chapter 5, Righteousness is what God came looking for in Jerusalem, but instead he found bloodshed. He found the cries of innocent victims. He found falsehood and wickedness. Isaiah 59, just before we hit uh, this picture in chapter 60, it kind of gives us the before image. It's like we've already seen in the first half of Isaiah. Have a look at Isaiah 59 verse 7. God describes the current state of Israel. He says, their feet run after evil, they rush to shed innocent blood, their thoughts are sinful thoughts, ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, they've not known the path of peace, there's no justice in their ways, they've made their roads crooked, no one who walks on them will know peace. This was a city of sinful people leaving a trail of destruction. Jerusalem may have been physically destroyed in 587 BC by Babylon, but it was already destroyed in its community life well before then. This was a place where truth had gone missing, where the people who do the right thing, who honour God and live His way, they get trampled down. And of this city full of wicked people, God says, you will be full of righteous people. Good people, people who love the Lord and trust the Lord and live His way, people who care about the things that God cares about, truth, justice, faithfulness. This new Jerusalem will be the best city ever known on the face of the earth, from sinful city to righteous city. At different points in Israel's history, they must have thought that this transformation was about to take place. Another key date to try to lock into your mind as we go through Isaiah, 539 BC, some 50 years after Jerusalem's destroyed and everyone's in exile in Babylon, 539 BC, Cyrus, the king of Persia, takes over the Babylonian Empire and he tells the Israelites they can go back to Jerusalem, that they can go and they can rebuild Jerusalem. And I'm sure there were some at that time who would have thought, this is it. This is the time that Isaiah spoke about. This is our moment to shine. We're going to be the safe city, the the righteous city, the glorious city. But it didn't happen then. The transformation didn't take place then. They were still sinful. They were still wicked. Ezra and Nehemiah tells us about that time. Haggai, Zechariah, the prophets. It didn't happen then. In 1948, when Israel was recognized once again as a nation, I'm sure there were some who thought, oh, this is it. This is the moment when Isaiah's prophecy is going to be fulfilled. But 70 years on, there's no peace in Jerusalem today, is there? It's not on the top of many tourists' wish lists. 
You see, this vision in Isaiah was never simply about political and economic events in Jerusalem. The grand imagery, the the hyperbole that is used here, a time when the sun and the moon would no longer shine, this was always pointing to something bigger. And as we move towards the end of the New Testament, we see that bigger picture. Come to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation is the last book in your Bible. Revelation chapter 21. It's written to various churches who are suffering because they are Christian. So no longer written just to Jewish people. This is now written to the nations. Written to those who have turned to trust in Jesus. Revelation 21. And God shows John a vision here that picks up the imagery of Isaiah chapter 60. We're hearing some of it read there. It's wonderful. (laughs) All right, we're going to pick it up at Revelation 21, verse 1. Have a listen and try to pick up the similar imagery from Isaiah 60. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. John's seeing what Isaiah saw, this transformation. It's not promised just for Israel, it's for you as well, if you trust in Jesus. Skip down to verse 23, Revelation 21, verse 23. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. This all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? The city that Isaiah saw in the future, it's still in the future, And it's for us, for those who trust in Jesus. Your life may not currently look like Aleppo, may not be full of rubble, it may not be full of destruction. You might not currently feel everything right now that Israel was feeling in their history, besieged, deserted and despised, a victim of violence, afraid of the darkness. You might not feel all of that, but you might feel some of it. And if you've ever felt despised as a Christian, perhaps people have thought less of you, laughed at you, mocked you, then be assured that the day will come when those who have looked down on you will see that they got it wrong. That promise that God has in Isaiah will be true for you, despised to victorious. If you've ever felt under attack, threatened in your job or your family because you're a Christian, then see this vision that God has of a a peaceful and a safe place where those who have attacked you, they'll realize that they were wrong to do that. If you've ever felt jealous of those who are pursuing wealth, like you could live in a nicer house if you weren't Christian or own a boat or enjoy Sunday brunch every week, then see that the day will come when you will be more glorious, more wealthy than anyone on the planet right now. This glorious transformation that God has on offer that we read about in Isaiah, that is for you. If you've ever felt envious of those who are traveling, 
See that all the best bits of all the best cities of the world be brought into this final heavenly city. The gates are open for the glory of the nations to be brought in. You're not missing out on anything. You're going to get it all in the new Jerusalem. And more than that, there's coming a time when you'll be done fighting sin. When you'll go from sinful to righteous. No more battles with sinful thoughts. No more regret at the harsh words, the lying words that you spoke. No more apologies, no more confession. I'm looking forward to that. Aren't you, aren't you looking forward to the day when the battle with sin will be over? When no more you'll be a sinful person but a righteous person. God says that will happen. God's people will be beautifully transformed. And if you trust in Jesus, then you will be beautifully transformed. Now that you know that this is about you, about us as God's church, come back to Isaiah, have a listen to the way God speaks about his transformed people in Isaiah 62. Feel the joy of this promise for you. Isaiah 62 verse 3. You will be a glorious crown in Yahweh's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God's hand. Verse 5. As a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. I wonder what you pictured in your ideal after photo. If life now is the before picture, what, what change are you longing for? I've got to say, this change that God promises, it's way better than having straight white teeth. So much bigger, so much more glorious. You'll be a glorious crown in God's hand. And it's not up to you to bring this change about. No one can change themselves in this way. No one can change the city or the world. It's not like the Facebook post. You see sometimes the before and after pictures on Facebook where someone shows what they were like and then they started going to the gym for two hours a day for a year and they got these brilliant abs and they're going, if you're like me, you could do this too. That's not what God's saying here. No, God will transform his people. That's how this happens. We've seen the what, this beautiful transformation. How it's going to happen? God does it himself. God turns up and he does the makeover on his people. In Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3, God describes a, a spirit-anointed messenger. One who will come with this announcement of freedom, of comfort, of God's favour. 700 years later, Jesus turns up. And in Luke 4, he reads this passage in a synagogue. He says to the Jews who are gathered there, this, this is me. Jesus, in the power of God's spirit, begins the transformation. God turns up in the flesh to transform his people. Now, as the true Israel, Jesus experienced transformation himself, didn't he? We heard a couple of weeks ago about the suffering servant. Jesus, when he came, he was despised, rejected, mocked, beaten and scorned he died on a roman cross but he didn't end there three days later he was resurrected in a glorious body he was vindicated those who were his enemies those who had mocked him recognized that they were wrong various nations many from various nations like ourselves streamed to jesus and worship him jesus experienced this profound transformation and God promises that if we unite ourselves to Jesus by faith, if we trust in Jesus, then we too will be raised to a new and glorious life. 
Not by anything that we do. God will transform us. He will vindicate us. He will glorify and beautify us with a resurrection life. Death is not the end for us. Transformation awaits. God will make us righteous. So much of this transformation lies in the future, but it is a process that's already begun. Paul's letters will speak of the way that God is currently transforming us. 2 Corinthians 3, one of the most prominent ones that we studied as a church last year, God says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that as we look at Christ, as we dwell on the glory of God in Jesus, then God's Spirit is transforming us into that same image from glory to glory. Outwardly, we might be wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed, we're being renovated day by day. And if you're a Christian, I trust that you've experienced some of that that you're a different person today than you were when you became a Christian. One of my great joys in serving as a pastor within this church is meeting people who have just met Jesus for the first time, who are speaking of the profound transformation that God has worked in their lives, giving them hope, renewing their character, helping them to kick addictions. I trust if you're a Christian, you can see the ways that God has changed you in very real ways, making you more like him. And Jesus has brought freedom from our captivity to sin. He's clothed us with his righteousness. And God promises that the transformation that's begun now will be brought to completion. In the resurrection, all those images in Isaiah of beautiful transformation, they will be yours. So what do we do now? We've seen the transformation God offers. We've heard the promise that God will bring this about himself. And so for now, Isaiah encourages us to wait. To wait and to turn from our transgression. Isaiah 60 verse 22 speaks of the timing of this promised transformation. God says there, I will accomplish it quickly in its time. It's one of those phrases that's a bit frustrating, isn't it? God says, I'll accomplish it quickly. And we think, wonderful, it's coming soon, there's not long left. But then he adds, uh, in its time. I'll accomplish it quickly in its time. And God's timeline is not our timeline. This transformation won't happen on a schedule that the prophet knows or that his audience can determine. But God will accomplish it. It will happen. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose hope. God will act. Wait. Wait. And as you wait, turn from your transgression. Come back to Isaiah 59, verse 20. kind of wish I could show you all of the stuff that's in these chapters. Like much of our series in Isaiah, we've been picking up a whole sweep. And this section of Isaiah, we've been focusing on chapter 60, but it really starts in chapter 56. 59, verse 20, this is the end of that long description of the before image of Jerusalem. And God says there, The Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. That's who will benefit from this transformation. A transgression is a violation, an offense. It's an act that violates the good law that God has for our lives. And so God's transformation is offered for those who turn from transgression, who acknowledge their guilt before God. Isaiah gives us some language to do that. In chapter 64, we read of people who say to God, We have sinned. And you, God, were angry. All of us have become like something unclean. 
All our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. That's what it is to turn from transgression, to acknowledge your guilt before God. God promises beautiful transformation. We have two options. We can either pretend that it's not something we need, that we've got life all sorted, that we're good people, that we're capable of changing those little niggles in our character and personality that we don't quite like about ourselves. We can pretend that we don't need God's help in this. If that's your response, then you won't experience this glorious future that God has promised. You're going to miss out. But the alternative is to come to God empty-handed and to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's interesting seeing those responses as Jesus turns up in Luke 4. He proclaims that he is this spirit-anointed messenger. And you see people responding in different ways to Jesus. But Jesus himself gives us this language in Luke 18. Tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee's like that first response. He says, oh, I'm really thankful, God, that I'm not a, a wicked person. I'm generous, I'm kind, I follow all your laws. And the tax collector turns up and he can't even look up. He's looking down, he's beating his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus says, be like the tax collector. Turn from transgression. Come with genuine sorrow for how you've treated God, how you've treated others. Come with a genuine confession and a desire to be changed, to be different. That's what it is to turn from transgression. And as we do that, we don't just turn from transgression, we turn towards God. We turn towards the kind of life that God desires us to live. By God's Spirit in us, we, we put sin to death and we pursue justice and mercy and generosity. Come back to Isaiah 56, verse 1. We'll finish here. Like I said, this is the start of this whole section that runs from 56 to the end of the book. And so Isaiah 56, verse 1, introduces the, the impact that these promises of transformation were meant to have on Israel, the, the same impact that they're meant to have for us. Isaiah 56, verse 1. This is what Yahweh says. Preserve justice and do what is right, for my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. And do you see the logic in that verse, the connecting word for? God says my salvation is coming soon. And that salvation is speaking of all the positive, glorious transformation we've been seeing. God says because that salvation is coming, for that salvation is coming, preserve justice. So once we know what the future is like, once we know the direction in which God is taking our lives and taking us, we can start living now in that direction. We can get our lives now in line with the future that God has promised. He's, he's taking us to a time when we will be righteous, when we'll do everything the way that God does, when we'll share his character. And so given that that's where we're headed, we start now trying to pursue that kind of life. We turn from injustice, which God hates, and we pursue justice, which God loves. We turn from falsehood, and we pursue truth. We turn from violence, and we pursue peace. That's what God calls us to as individuals and as a church, as a community. So let's be that kind of community while we wait for God to transform us. Let's be the city set on a hill that provides light to everyone around us. God will beautifully transform his people. 
And for now, we'll go on being despised. We'll keep being under attack. We'll choose not to indulge in some of the excesses of the world. But we can persevere because we know the glorious future that God has in store for us. So as you go out this week, fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep waiting and turn from your transgression. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the way that you have changed us already. Thank you that as you've opened our eyes to see Jesus, you have brought about transformation in our character. You've given us of your spirit and you're transforming us from glory to glory. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Outwardly, we're being despised and mocked, spoken ill of. Outwardly, we're looking foolish in the eyes of the world. And yet you are transforming us. You are changing us. And you will vindicate us. The day is coming when the sons of God, the children of God will be revealed. We'll be seen as those who have trusted in the right king. We'll be seen as your people. You will transform us into beauty, into glory. We long for that day. Help us to fix our eyes on that transformation that is to come. And so to live now in line with that future. Help us this week, by your spirit, to pursue justice, to act in mercy, to act in truth, to be the community that you are transforming us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.